Good morning. It is wonderful to see all of you here this morning. So glad of that. Uh, we have some great news this morning. Uh, Brad and Alicia Jenkins have decided to place membership with us. Brad, you can raise your hand over here. Uh, good family. Their daughters, Briar and Camilla, uh, will be joining the work here at Birdwell's Chapel. We're so excited about that. And if you're interested in placing membership, let me know after, after worship this morning, and uh, we'll be glad to talk to you about that. The elders would like to sit down with you and uh, get to know you a little bit better. So glad you're here this morning. In the early 90s, Michael Jordan, greatest of all time in my opinion, and the Chicago Bulls lost to the Detroit Pistons three times in the playoffs. Each time the Pistons eliminated Jordan, Jordan displayed good sportsmanship by shaking their hands. Jordan said it hurt and it was upsetting, but each time he lost, each time he was put out, he went to the players from the opposing team and shook their hands. On May 27, 1991, after the Bulls beat the Pistons, Isaiah Thomas and his, and his players, his other players, did something very different. It was on this day that Jordan and the Bulls beat the Pistons in the 1991 Eastern Conference Finals. Chicago swept Detroit in four games to advance to the NBA Finals, and Jordan was presumably looking forward to shaking hands with his opponent, Isaiah Thomas. However, with game four and 7.9 seconds left in regulation, Isaiah Thomas and the Detroit players walked off the court and did not shake hands with the Bulls. Rarely does the average man have to prove himself in battle. Sports or competition of some type are the closest that we get to, but they are no less indication of a person's character. This is our third week in a series about David and his mighty men. While we're focusing on this, these particular chapters about these men, we can all learn something from it. But my story and maybe stories in your mind about sportsmanship or even about battle itself, you know, reveals the character within someone. That whenever hardship is coming, whenever difficulties are there, can you be a good winner? Can you be a gracious loser? We learned some valuable lessons this morning about manhood from Abishai one of David's mighty men. We see him having honor and victory, as well as, though, the desire to be vengeful. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. He struggled with what he wants to do, with what, what his flesh, with what his mind tells him to do, and what he knows to be right. When and how these traits are shown or not shown tells us a lot about what a mighty man should be. So we're going to look at three traits this morning about what makes a mighty man. First off, real men are honorable. It's not a word used a whole lot in today's society, unfortunately. Traditional honor consists of having a reputation judged worthy of respect and admiration by a group of equal peers who show the same code of standards. We see this in the workplace. We see this among sports teams. 
And honor is something that, that should be brought back. It's been within the code of humankind for quite some time. In primitive times, what gave you honor was strength and courage. Then in the medieval period, integrity and chivalry came about. In the 19th century, bravery, other things were added to it. Bravery in industry, sincerity, chastity, self-sufficiency, self-control, orderliness, and dependability. When you had these traits, you were an honorable man. You were an honorable woman whenever you displayed these traits. In the 21st century, traditional honor has unraveled and given way to a private code of what people thought or what people think. And so honor for the common good was completely lost, is completely lost, and instead is replaced with an individual's right to choose regardless of the outcome. If you are an honorable person, then you do what is best for you, of course, but you also look at other people and you consider the group, consider the greater good as well. Honor, you see, is based on reputation. A lot of times people, teenagers, adults, don't think about what they are doing, so they don't think about their reputation. And when people stop caring about their reputation, and when shame disappears, when people don't care about their work ethic, when people don't care about how people view them, they devolve into doing the very least that they can. This leads to mediocrity, corruption, and incompetence. People do not display honor because they are not showing their best. They're not striving to be their best. And real men, real women, are honorable people. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 26, please. 1 Samuel chapter 26. We'll begin with verse 6. Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai, where we see our hero come in, to Abishai the son of Zariah, Joab's brother, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. David is at war with Saul. They've got this rift between them, this personal vendetta Saul does against David. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping inside the circle of the camp with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. If you're in a war fighting, especially if you don't have coverings of some type, a tent or a structure, you're going to sleep with your weapon right beside you. When I'm in bear country... I sleep with something right beside me. Because who knows what's going to be tearing into that in the middle of the night. Well, for a soldier, he's going to do the same thing. He's going to have his knife, his gun, his spear, his weapon laying right beside his head. What if you woke up one morning and something had happened to that? Let's see what, te- what the verses tell us. And Abner and the people were lying around him. So he's got his, his troop around him as well, Saul does. Then Abishai said to David... Today, God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now therefore, please let me strike him with the spear to the ground with one stroke, 
and I will not strike him the second time. Abishai sees a great opportunity here. Abishai and David's other men, they want David to become king. They want David to hold the throne. They want David to wear the crown. And Abishai sees Saul and said, David, God has given you this opportunity. Strike him. Let me strike him. It'll only take one. You'll see in a moment, Abishai is quite adept with a spear. It'll only take me one blow, David. Let me put you on the throne with this one moment. Please. Verse 9. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt? Abishai wanted David to be king, but David wanted this to happen on God's terms. He wanted it to happen on God's terms. So David tells him, no, we're not going to do it this way. We're not going to do it like this. David also said, as the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike him. You ever try to do something by yourself without God? We need to remember that God helps us in all ways, that God is always there, that God is there for you. So many times we, we try to take the controls from God. Here, God, I can do it better than you. But here we see that David is admitting to the fact that let's put this in God's hands. Let's put it in his hands because surely the Lord will strike him or his day will come that he dies or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But now please take the spear that is at his head and the jug of water and let us go. You see, David wanted to please God. He did not just want to be king. And he recognized the fact that Saul was the king God had appointed. Saul was there in that position for that very purpose, you see. So David said, I don't want to handle it that way. Abishai, I want to be king too, but I want to do it on God's terms. I want to do it based on what he says and what he puts forth. That's an honorable thing to do. Not taking things into your own hands, but also leading those below you to a better state of mind. So David took the spear. I wonder what Saul thought when he woke up. So David took the spear and the jug of water from beside Saul's head, and they went away. But no one saw or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep because a sound sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. David ordered Abishai not to attack Saul, and Abishai obeyed. He accepted David's authority and thereby he honored him. He did not go against David's wishes and disrespect him or dishonor him. He did not say, David, this doesn't feel right. He did not say, David, I believe differently. I think differently. Something's telling me something different. No, he looked to David for his leadership and honored David to that respect. So many times, so many times, young people, we, we look to those who are our elders, we look to those who are our leaders, and we say, I know better than you. It's taken me low many years to finally realize there's some people who know a lot more than I do, and I need to listen to them. Stay in your lane, we might say. And Abishai did just that. He was an honorable man because he believed David to be an honorable man as well. And this is sometimes difficult. Perhaps you've been educated to a certain degree. Perhaps you have a certain level of experience, and, and it's difficult 
to listen to someone that perhaps you think knows less. But if you keep your eyes and your ears open and your mouth closed, tend, tend, you will tend to learn a great deal by bestowing honor upon those who have earned it, who deserve it, who have been put there even by the grace of God. General Robert E. Lee arrived at the McLean house first. Wearing a crisp gray uniform and dress sword, Grant entered a half hour later, dressed informally in what he called a soldier's blouse. His boots and pants spattered with mud, Grant's staff officers crowded the room. The two commanders sat across from each other in the home's parlor, Lee in a tall armchair, and Grant in a swivel chair with a padded leather back next to a small oval side table. They made some small talk before Lee asked on what terms Grant would receive the surrender of my army, he said. Many within the Union considered Confederates traitors who were personally responsible for the tremendous loss of lives and property. Lee's own army had threatened the nation's capital and had to be driven back in some of the bloodiest battles of the war. The terms of surrender, however, would be a simple gentleman's agreement. Healing the country, rather than vengeance directed Grant's and Lincoln's actions, there would be no mass imprisonments or executions, no parading of defeated enemies through northern streets. Lincoln's priority, shared by Grant, was to, quote, bind up the nation's wounds and unite the country together again as a functioning democracy under the Constitution. Extended retribution against the former Confederates would only slow this process down. The Army of Northern Virginia would surrender their arms, return home, and agree not to take up arms against the government of the United States. At Lee's request, Grant even allowed Confederates who owned their own horses to keep them so that they could tend their farms and plant spring crops. Grant agreed to feed Lee's starving army and he ordered his men to stop celebratory cannon fire. This was honor in light of the greater purpose these men were called to. Both were fighting for what they believed in and to further harm the Confederacy or go against anything that would be agreed upon would be an act of dishonor. It took honor to not become vengeful. It took honor to look at the greater good and not one's personal or evil desires. A real man lives honorably. Also, real men have a skill of some kind. As we discuss men and who they are or what they are, it is a skill that is often focused upon. So we'll talk, men, if you'll notice, we'll talk and we'll find some sort of agreed upon interest. I have a lot of interest, so I can talk to any of you. But for some of you who have maybe just one or two or a few interests, you know, you find that one person and, and that's what you want to talk about. But having a skill sets you apart. Having a skill helps you with your self-image. It feels pretty good to be able to do something that others cannot, to do things that are useful, to do something, to be able to do anything that benefits the greater good, that greater fit, that benefits someone outside of yourself. And this skill might be a variety of things. 
such as making knives, painting cars, smoking meats, which I appreciate all of those. But these skills are definitely honorable as well. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 23, please, in verse 18. 2 Samuel chapter 23. There's a lot of writing among literature written specifically for men. And a lot of that writing will talk about what sort of hobbies you have, what sort of skill do you have. Because if you like doing things with your hands, if you like challenging your mind, man, we need to do that. We need to be able to do that because it's so enriching to yourself and, and to your self-image. 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 18. Let's look and see what, what Abishai had as a skill and how it affected him. 2 Samuel 23, 18. Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Jeriah, was chief of the thirty. And he swung his spear against three hundred and killed them and had a name as well as the three. Now, we've spoken several times uh, over the course of the last three weeks about different levels of these mighty men that we read of in Scripture. There's the thirty, and then set apart from those... The three, that was who we talked about the first week, several groups of three. And then we see in several of these chapters, there are particular men that are called out one by one for various reasons. And Abishai is one of those. And what does it say about him? He swung his spear. You know, he wasn't fooling when he told David that. Whenever he said to David, let, let me take the spear and it's only going to take one blow. He wasn't fooling. He could do it. He could kill a man with one blow because what did he did? He went against 300 and killed them. It was in battle that Abishai had a skill. He was a tremendous fighter. And if there's anything that can earn you respect among peers in this particular day and age, it was the ability to fight. And because of this skill, we see that he earned a name. It was a reputation that he had. I spoke a lot when I was a senior in high school. My nickname in the yearbook was Preach. That's what they called me. Because I was known to be able to get up in front of people and speak. It was a name that I earned. It was a skill that I had. And because of that, he earned a high position. He had a name, and this earned him a great position. Even just being mentioned here, you see, it was a skill that did a great deal for him. So many boys, so many men are, are just sitting around because they're not fostering an interest. They're not fostering a skill. They have nothing to do, so what they are doing is just making them go away physically, mentally, and emotionally. And they're not feeding that side of themselves. Because of his skill, he earned a reputation, of course. And this can take years. This can take years to build. We are in a world, unfortunately, in which people expect to be praised just for showing up, just for rolling out of bed. They don't, they don't want to try. They don't want to earn a skill. They don't want to do what it takes. You know what? I'd really like to do that, but then look at all the work that it takes. No. I don't think I can. The obstacles get in the way. The obstacles stop them from growing. And this, this, this skill, you see, doesn't have to be a spiritual necessarily, not even necessarily like preaching. I hope 
Then in the next few months, we start learning more about one another's skills and what we're interested in, men, and start forming new and, and better connections. But if you don't have a skill, maybe work on one. Stop with the obstacles getting in the way. One of my best friends in high school, Richie Roberts, he and I were best buds for years. I was the center on, on the football team, and he was the quarterback from eight years old till we graduated in 1995. He and I knew each other very well. Well, when we were in elementary school, Richie had an accident. A nail he was hammering, building a barn with his dad, and this nail flew up and stabbed him in the eye. He lost vision in that eye. <clears throat> it was uh, difficult for us to handle in those days, of course. Well, <clears throat> his uh, senior year, he passed for over a thousand yards with one eye. So, I don't like excuses. Because if I can block for him and take care of him on the field like that, don't let worry, don't let impatience, don't let things get in the way of keeping you from doing something that can benefit a great deal of people. Because, you know, you don't have to be the best at it. But you need to strive for better. Because while you might try to you know, play the guitar, play the harmonica, which I tried and said, I don't want to do that, but I've got to spend my time on doing something else. You know, while you might not get to everything or be the best at it, you need to strive for better. Because whenever you work on something, whether it's exercising or an artistic endeavor, that will translate into other areas of your life. It'll move in those directions. It'll cause a, a ripple effect. And perhaps your prayer life will get better. Perhaps your desire and ability to want to speak will also improve as well because it is this, these small actions. It's a, it's a huge reward, you see, for working hard and getting better at something. And small actions, as well as large ones, create character in you. And that's what it's about. When you stick to something and you work on that, and you work to become better, it creates character. It gives you a place to start from. It's easy when you don't care about anything. It's easy when you say, oh, I don't care about... You know, that's the easy route. Okay? Real men care about things. Real men care, and they want, they want to do better at something. Whether it's a better lump of sourdough bread, or it's, you know, repainting a brand new car. Whatever it is... Real men, our skills can make you who you are. And it's those small actions that add up. One of the reasons men don't have a better skill is because they can't handle the challenge. It's also because they can't handle the feedback that might come their way. Because a lot of times people might not truly know who you are, but if they do, what do they think about you? He's lazy. He's a good-for-nothing. Or he's good at this. He's good at that, and he's an honorable person. What do people think of you? Because simply re retreating to the shadows and, and hiding behind is not what real men should be about. David's mighty men certainly weren't about that. Abishai saw his opportunity, and even though he didn't get to take it, he was ready to do something very extreme for what he believed in. He didn't back away from it, but rather went forward. And David had to say, no, not today. Not this way. But it was that desire that made him the man that he was. But also, 
that ability to stay back and say, you know what, David, you're right. And I'll follow and listen to you. Lastly, real men show respect. People say that respect has to be earned, and indeed it does. But you also give respect because you see value in every single person that is alive regardless of their skill level at the moment, regardless of their honor level at the moment, or the respect they may give you. You see them as a valuable individual and as someone that God loves and that God wants to reach. Respect is a feeling of deep admiration for someone or something elicited by their abilities, their qualities, or their achievements. So we want to give respect to people, and you want to be someone who is able to be respected, you see. Respect is such a powerful character trait, and it is often lost on a lot of people. Any type of chaos that you may witness in this evil world, school shootings, mall shootings, or anything of that sort, even all the way down to disrespect, is because of a lack of respect for oneself in his or her fellow man. And what does this come from exactly? Well, we have created a culture, you see, that does not value life, that does not honor God, that does not respect authority. And we are reaping the consequences of those actions. When something evil happens in your home or way up that makes the national news, people will ask, why did this happen? Well, it can probably be traced back to a lack of respect for a lot of different things. Let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 21, please. Or 2 Samuel, yes, chapter 21, that is a typo. 2 Samuel chapter 21, not 2, 2 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 15. We're seeing the Philistines here again, someone that David knows all too well. 2 Samuel 21 and verse 15. Now when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David went down and his servants with him. And as they fought against the Philistines, David became weary. Then Ishbi Benob, who was among the descendants of the giant, Goliath, the weight of whose spear was 300 shekels of bronze in weight, was girded with a new sword, and he intended to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, helped him and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall not go out again with us to battle, so that you do not extinguish the lamp of Israel. Abishai honored and respected David with his skill in this instance. Even a great man of God grows old. We see that here with David. The Scripture says he was along in years And what happened here? God protected him through the strength of others. David, an honorable man, a respectful man with skill, says, we're going to go meet the Philistines again. Let's go down and let's battle with them once again. David not ready to lay down his sword, but he gets there. And he is greeted once again by another giant, by a relative of of Goliath who is wanting to take David's life. I'm going to be vengeful. This giant believes. But then Abishai, who was younger than David, does something for his his leader, and he, he kills that giant for him. 
And then his men have to tell David, you know, we don't want you to do this anymore. You need to sit back. We don't want the lamp of Israel to be extinguished, my king. What else do we learn from this passage? What we see here is a young person going through what he has learned with his elder, with his leader, with his king, and now applying it by showing respect for him. The youth that we have here, upholding their faith in God is a wonderful thing to see. And those of us who are adults, I hope we we see our young people. Where are they? Oh yeah, they're at a a camp this week, aren't they? Going through spiritual classes, going through things that will help them grow spiritually. And it's because of the contributions of this congregation that they're able to do that. To be able to go and, and spend time down there and strengthen themselves spiritually. And I hope when they come back, and I hope whenever you see them up here or, or working in the classrooms as teachers in training, that you'll know and understand that, wow, we're doing a great thing here for our young people as they grow up and administer their faith and, and show that. And it's out of respect for you, out of respect for themselves as well, and showing that they indeed want to hold up their faith in God and be what He needs them to be and what they need to be for themselves and what we need them to be as well. Our boys, oftentimes, many youth in this world, don't know how to become men. Pray for our boys and our men here, that we will grow closer together, that we will display more honor, that we will display more respect, that we'll work on a skill that makes us valuable within our groups, and enriching to the lives of other people. For whenever we do that, you have something that you can feel good about and feel good that you are a dependable young man, a dependable older man as well. And may we always look to the example of Scripture as we strive to be what God has intended for us to be. If you're not a Christian this morning, I hope that you'll become one. Perhaps start a new path on being a greater man of God Or if you have fallen away and need prayers this morning, if you need prayers for forgiveness, I hope that you'll come forward and let us do that for you as well. Won't you come now as we stand and sing to encourage?